may be seated, and children can be dismissed. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 4, we start a new part of uh, Revelation today. We're going to be looking at heaven. A vision of heaven. It's our really the best exposition that we have. Other men talked about heaven. Paul referenced heaven in 2 Corinthians 12. Ezekiel referenced heaven in Ezekiel, especially chapter 1. Uh, the Bible itself, one man says, has 500 times where heaven is referenced. But this is the most complete information that we have about heaven right here in chapters 4 chapters 5, pieces throughout the rest of the book of Revelation, but basically right here, 4 and 5. Now again, we're told in Colossians 3 to keep seeking those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. We're supposed to set our affections and set our mind on things above, not on things of this earth. You know, sometimes you hear this statement, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. That is absolutely false. That is absolutely false. That is exact opposite. You have to have a heavenly mindset. If you do not have a heavenly mindset, then you will be so focused on this earth, you will be of no heavenly good. Right? Because you're not going to be doing it for God. You're going to be trying to protect your own little kingdom. You've got to focus on God's kingdom. So again, this the next few weeks, actually, we're going to be looking at your new home if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Right? Because we are citizens of heaven. This is our new home. We're just pilgrims. We're just aliens here on this earth. We have to, we have to be reminded of that. We have to see God in all His glory and all His power, all His excellence. It will transform you. I know this last week as I was studying it, it's like, it just, at the end of the week, started hitting me. Wow! Wow! Well, sometimes it doesn't hit us because of how we think of heaven. You know, as one guy wrote, you know, we think of heaven like this. Angels reclining on puffy clouds, strumming harps, or I guess like this, and singing blissful choruses of praise. I mean, that's how we think of heaven. Doves and butterflies flittering around, shimmering in radiant light. A fine white mist blankets the ground. And except for the streets of gold, everything glimmers a bright incandescent white. So just kind of there. But that's not heaven. I mean, there are streets of gold. By the way, you will not be enamored by that. You will, be, you will not be enamored by the gems and the pearls of the gates. That's not going to be what enamors you. When you get to heaven, it's going to be God. God is what's going to... Whew, wow. Well, let's, let's look at this passage because we're going to transition in. Now, before we get into the passage, I want to read it for you. Okay, I want to read the whole 11 verses. We probably won't get through the whole 11 verses, but uh, we need to, to see them. And I want you to, I'm just going to throw out a thought. Uh, what's the theme here? What's the con? There's a, there's a key word. You're going to see it over and over again. Start with verse 1 again. After these things, I looked and behold, the door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne in heaven, and one who sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion, and the second living creature was like a calf. And the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. 
And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. What's the common word? Throne. Eleven times in this passage, the word throne is used. And we're going to be looking at the throne from a different point of view. Now again, it's the one who sits on the throne is the issue. But again, you see the whole picture of heaven through that, that thought. Let, let me just back up for one moment. Uh, as we look at that verse 1, it says, After these things. That's a statement of time sequence. What do you mean after these things? Well, after the things that happened in chapters 1 through 3. Now, if you just go back, since we're in Revelation 4, just go back to chapter 1, verse 19. Because in chapter 1, verse 19, you see the divine outline of the book of Revelation. The divine outline is literally contained in in chapter 1, verse 19. This is where John gets the message from our Lord through the angel. And he says this, Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. And what you see in that outline, the things that we're seeing is actually chapter 1. It's the vision of the glorified Christ from all eternity, past. That's who Christ is. The things which are, again, is chapters 2 and 3. That's the church age. That's the seven churches of the Revelation. We went through them in, in extensive detail. But that's, that's chapters 2 and 3. The present. We're right now in the present church age. So when John writes in chapter 4, verse 1, after these things. He's saying, after the... What do you mean? After the the seven churches. After the church age. That's why I'm I'm very much convinced that the rapture, that is, at other places in Scripture, such as John 14 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, happens in the white space between chapter 3.22 and chapter 4, verse 1. After these things, there's a transition... And everything else in chapter 4 through 22 is a future. And I believe it's not only future, but it's chronological. Now, when I say chronological, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that every piece always happens just like this. Because what happens sometimes is he will give a piece of information and then bring us back to give us another understanding of a particular subject. Example. He does that with the tribulation. He'll give you the overview. And then he goes back in chapter 7 and says, well, let me tell you how people are getting saved. And he tells us about the 144,000. And then later in that chapter, he tells us that a multitude from every tongue and nation were getting saved. Or he would or he'll go back and say, well, let me tell you about the two witnesses. By the way, that's good writing style. Like if, if you, you know, if, if you read, I mean, if you read in the newspaper, they don't just, it's chronologically everything, they'll give you some information and then they'll pop back and say, well, let me tell you about this and let me tell you about this. And, and so that's how it's written. But the overall is a chronology of the end times. You're going to see, you're going to see, uh, well, what have we seen? We've seen the eternal Christ. We've seen the, the, the seven churches, the church age. We're going to see the tribulation and go on to the second coming, the new heaven and new earth. In between that, you're going to see about 144,000. You're going to see about the two witnesses. And then you're going to see about the beast that comes out of the sea, beast out of the earth, which is the, the antichrist and false prophet. But again, this is the outline of the book. From this point on, it's all future. That's what I'm trying to get at. It's all future. So before he actually shows us what's happening on the earth, the Lord has decided through John to show us what's happening in heaven. So we've gone from heaven in chapter 1 to earth, chapters 2 and 3. Now we're back to heaven, chapters 4 and 5. Chapter 6, the earth again. And we just have to kind of think. See, the more you kind of see the big picture, okay, I see what's happening. You know what's happening here? God wants to communicate to us. Which is very important for you to be convinced of. 
Because many people look at the book of Revelation and said, it's, it's so misunder, I mean, it, it, it's so convoluted, there's no way anybody's going to get anything out of it. No, no. God wrote the book of Revelation. He recorded it so that we would know. He wants us to understand it. Because that gives us great comfort in what's going to happen. And so now he brings us, brings us through the Apostle John, back to heaven. So after these things, I looked, and behold, the door standing open in heaven. We're going to, we're going to learn about heaven. We're going to learn about things about heaven here that, we, that are not found in anywhere else in the, in, the, in the book. Okay, You would not know about these things unless it was specified here. Now again, points are in Ezekiel, points are in Second Corinthians. This is the most thorough so there's a throne. That's the point number one. Immediately I was in the Spirit. Now what, what does he mean by that? Not capital S. Shouldn't be capital. He's talking about, well, in the sense that the Spirit brought him to heaven. John's body remains at Patmos. Not the whole. He's just saying, listen, I, uh, the Spirit of God took my spirit to heaven. I was able to behold. And behold a throne set in heaven. Again, he experientially sees the very throne room of God. We're able to peer into the, the throne room of God. Now think about this. All the problems we have on this earth, and they seem to be getting worse, right? By the way, that is, that's how sin works. It just keeps, you know. It would, you would expect that the world was not, was not getting better. It would be getting worse as time goes on, and that's exactly what, that's what you see. Let's look at the throne room of God. And he's going to describe the indescribable. Now, I want to, I'm going to keep saying that. He is describing, sometimes he is describing the indescribable. I got on the web and started looking up some of that, like the four living creatures. You know what? I can't show a picture of the four living creatures. It's indescribable. He's describing the indescribable. When he says the emerald, the rainbow of emerald, I mean, that's, okay, we get it. It's green, it's pleasant, but beyond that, I mean, a lot of this stuff, especially when it comes to this particular chapter, some of it is very, wow, like how do you get that? How, how do you have a beast that has four heads, seas around? I mean, uh, well, I shouldn't say beast, it's a creature, the four living creatures. So just take that, in, you know, don't go like this. Oh, give me more information on this. Well, I can only give you what, what he gives us, okay? So, but we have a throne. First of all, you have the meaning of a throne. <coughs> John MacArthur said this of the throne, and this is, I think, very important. Uh, remember this, that God is spirit. God is spirit. Uh, he who worships him must be, worship him in spirit and truth. But God is spirit. So when you say he, you see, well, again, that's us under, trying to understand. He said this of the throne. This was not a piece of furniture, but a symbol of God's sovereign rule and authority. I want you to mark that. I think that's a good way to say it. Uh, in chapter 7 it says, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. But again, God is spirit. You gotta, we gotta, how do you descri describe the indescribable? Uh, no man can see God and live. So this is, but what you do see is blazing light. What you do see is, I mean, the, the people are terrified. We're going to see that in a moment. But this throne, not a piece of furniture, it, but it represents his sovereignty, his rule, his authority. And then we find where the throne is. It's set in heaven. Now, the New American says a door standing open in heaven. So that's where this throne is. Uh, many who, have, who claim to have had a vision of, of heaven emphasize the trivial you don't see the trivial here. Have you ever read, I hope you haven't, like these books out there, you know, some kid goes to heaven and sees God and it's all so fluffy and fluffy and, you know, happy, happy. And that's not how heaven is portrayed. You'll see this. It's not portrayed like that at all. Uh, then the permanence. By the way, let me, let me tell you what the heaven is. Uh, because uh, Paul said that he was transported to the third heaven. The first heaven would be like our atmosphere, you know, which you can see. And we're going to show you a video here in a few minutes. The first heaven is it's what you basically can see. Now, the, third uh, the second heaven, excuse me, would be everything beyond that that would contain our whole universe. 
Okay, so when we talk about billions of galaxies and billions and billions of stars, that's all the second heaven. The third heaven is what you can't see. It's actually the spiritual side. That's where God resides. So you can't take a telescope and say, yeah, I do think I see him. <laughs> no, 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 we're not talking about. God is in the third heaven, the spiritual realm. The plane of real, uh, reality accessible only by heavenly invitation. <laughs> I want you to catch that. To see heaven, if you ever see heaven, it's because of heavenly invitation. It's because you as a sinner realize your need of a Savior, receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, and at the moment of death, absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord, but that's because of invitation. <laughs> And by the way, God is inviting each one of you. If you've never received Christ, you can have your sins forgiven and made part of his family by receiving his son. But, but heaven, this right here, just the fact that we're able to glimpse is by invitation. This is because he wants to reveal this to us. So again, that's the location is in heaven. But the, look at the permanence. A throne set in heaven. Now, the word set means, or the New American says, standing. It's, it, it's referring to God's sovereign rule. His throne, his authority, his rule is fixed. It's permanent. It's unshakable. This is where it gets really exciting. Because God is in control. And everything you see for the rest of the book of Revelation is God is in control. See, right now, many people, many humans are under the wrong understanding. They think they're in control. And we need to understand that God is in control. And you know what we're going to find? This is an amazing thing. At the very end of the age, and I think, this, I think some of us are going to get history lessons in heaven. And God's going to say, see that? Yeah, do you see Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, he was part of my plan. And <laughs> Yeah, that Iranian president, he was falling right into my plan. You know, ISIS, that was my part of my plan. Yeah, do you see that nuclear war right there? That was part of the plan. And we're going to have history lessons say, from here to here, all of time, it was God's story. That's why we call it His story, right? That's history, His story. It's all about His story. So, this permanence, a throne set in heaven. Again, referring to who's sitting on the throne. And the throne is set, it's fixed, it's permanent, it's unshakable. Everything that happens in this world is part of that plan. There is no, as I said a couple weeks ago, rebellious molecule in this entire world that's not allowed by God. There's not one renegade molecule in this entire world that is doing its own thing unless it's by the appointment of God. So I find that just very, very encouraging. How about number two? Who's the one that's being worshipped? And one who sat on the throne. So that's why the second major point is not only the throne, but on the throne. He's who's sitting. He who sat. There was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. So who is this who's sitting? Well, this is the Father. God the Father. By the way, we know this because if you go to chapter 5, the Lamb, verse 8 is the one that's being worshipped. So in chapter 4, you have God the Father. In chapter 5, you have God the Son. So he's the one that's sitting on the throne. As one said, the whimsical, mindless, purposeless forces of random chance do not, as many foolishly believe, govern the universe. You know, this whimsical just happens to be, well, what's going to happen? And the earth is going to kind of wind down to a disastrous end. No, no. Everything is being purposely and definitively directed by the Father. That's why I say, uh, make sure as you look at this earth, you don't worship the earth, but you take care of people. We said that a couple weeks ago. It's very, very important because Satan would want just the opposite. Worship the earth and damn the people. No, no, this is just about, this is about God's purposes. And this, work, this earth, and I'll keep saying it, is just disposable. It was created by God. He says, use it, because it's all going to burn in the end. And we've got to think, though, in those terms. This is all about God. And look at, he sat. He's, he's sitting. 
By the way, he's not resting. This does not mean resting. Uh, when Jesus Christ sacrificed himself, it says in Hebrews, he purged our sin. And then in Hebrews 10:12, after purging our sin, after becoming the propitiation for our sin, the acceptable sacrifice, after Christ died and his sacrifice was complete, it says this, but this man, Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. There it's referring to Christ as resting. His work was completed. It was finished. He rested. He sat. But here, as it pertains to the Father, the idea is not resting. It's reigning. He is reigning sovereignly. He is sitting. He's the one that's controlling. Everyone else is moving. Because again, he's the reigning king. And he's reigning, and again, we're going to see the God the Son next week, but here it's God the Father. He is reigning, he is sitting, and he is waiting, according to the, uh, the passage, what? For the coming judgment on earth. So there's a time frame. God is patient. Isn't that great? <laughs> I love that. I just love how so often in Scripture, I mean, the, you see the glory and the power, of, but he is, he is waiting. And that's part of his patience. By the way, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in Isaiah 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. It said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In 1 Kings 22, it says, Micaiah, the prophet, said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. Psalms 47 says, God sits on his throne. And again, in each one of those, it doesn't have reference to resting. It has reference to reigning. He's the king. He's the one that's overseeing everything and making sure everything works according to his eternal purpose. And then you might ask, well then... He's sitting. How do people, I just, let me throw this in. How do people respond to when they see God? Is it flippant, whimsical? Yeah, Daniel chapter 7, you might want to write this one down. Daniel 7, verses 9 to 10, it says this. I watched till thrones were put in place in the Ancient of Days. That's the Father, was seated. And the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and his hair was like pure wool, and his throne was a fiery flame. By the way, that same description was also given of our Lord in Revelation chapter 1. What does that tell you? That the Father and the Son, part of the Godhead, two persons of the Godhead, and then we have the, the Spirit of God. So again, Christ is deity, the Father is deity. One God, three persons. But again, that's how he's, in white as snow, that would be purity, and his head, his hair was like pure wool, that's wisdom, and his throne of fiery flame, that's judgment. Goes on, a fiery stream issued and came forth from him, and a thousand thousands ministered to him. Now think about that. A thousand thousands ministered to him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. Notice it said the word stood. He's sitting, they're standing. And he's sitting, they're ministering. And that's how it is throughout eternity. He holds all things together, but we're created for him. He wasn't brought us into this relationship for us. It was for him, right? It's not about building our kingdom. It's about honoring him and building his. This last part of Daniel uh, 7, verse 15, it says this, And I, Daniel, was grieved, and that word grieved is intensive. I mean, he was really grieved. In other words, he saw the king and he was grieved. And my spirit within my body and, my, and the visions of my head troubled me. There again, it's an intensive verb. He was grieved and he was troubled. Because again, when you see a vision of God, you're, you know what you are? You're terrified. You're humbled. Now thankfully, as those who are blood-bought uh, believers, just care, go over very quickly to Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Because I just got to tell you, you know, that's how people see God. They just are terrified, awestruck. It's like Isaiah chapter 6 says, Woe is me, I am undone. I, you become unraveled. But thankfully, 
through the mercy and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, were brought into the family. And look at the new song that these redeemed sing in chapter 5, verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll, this is talking about Christ now, to open its seals because you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood. Just, just underline it. You, you're the one that did it all. We are going to be able to worship the Father, worship the Son, worship the Spirit, and not be terrified. You know why? Because we've been brought through the blood of Christ. Don't, don't ever lose the, the magnificence of grace. I, Ken mentioned that last week. Amazing grace. We sing of it, but I don't know if we understand. How, outside, of, outside of Christ's sacrifice, you would be terrified you would be destroyed just by his glory, but because we've been brought through the blood, forgiven through Christ, we can stand and worship and praise him. But for John, this is not a throne that brings peace and comfort. I, I don't want you to get that. I mean, he can, he can see, but there's still there's a terrifying aspect to this. Because again, judgment is coming and just the greatness of God. Just the great, our God, Hebrews 12, 29 says, is a consuming fire. So again, there's, there's obviously uh, awe and respect and, and the right type of fear. And yet we're, we're his children. I mean, that's what's so amazing. I and mean, we were called God's children. Wow. Really? So what is he like? He who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis in appearance. A, a jasper, there was a lot of different colors for jasper stones. Some were purple, blue, green. Um, but there's also one that was crystal clear. And many of the commentators thought, you know what, perhaps because of that was also found on the uh, 12 stones of the high priest, the, the breastplate, that most likely this one was referred to as the crystal clear type. Okay? Not for sure. In other words, i.e. like a diamond. Because of what it does. By the way, a diamond, when you have light come through a diamond, it refracts, it reflects. And can you imagine, uh, what is it like? Like refracted glory, flashing facets of God's glory. That's probably why he brings up like a jasper. Like you look and it's just refracted glory. And then a sardis. Sardis was fire, red, uh, blood red ruby. Okay? Blood red. What, what does that symbolize? Probably his wrath. Because it's going to be poured out in just another chapter, two chapters. So what is he like? Just, ref, ref, just glory, <laughs> but again, wrath on the earth. By the way, that uh, blood red also re, reminds us of the sacrifice that his son made for us. So the Sardis and Jasper. It's interesting that on the high priest breastplate, the Sardis stone and the Jasper stone was the first and the last which some have said probably also indicates that this, being these two stones were picked out here, this depicts God's covenant relationship with Israel. A Jew would look at that, oh yeah, the first and the last of the, because the, the high priest would wear the breastplate as a reminder and as, a, well, he was actually um, representing the nation of Israel. And here, I believe God is, is, is also helping us to remember and helping uh, Israel to remember, you know, you're my covenant people. Your disobedience has not negated my love for you. Ultimately, all of Israel in the end of the tribulation will be saved. So, we can, uh, again, take heart in that as well. How about number three? Now we see a rainbow. This rainbow is around the throne. So the main heading is around the throne in appearance like an emerald. An emerald is green. Uh, what is, you know, so around the throne is green. Now again, this is describing the indescribable, but again, apparently, I would say if nothing else, that's pleasant. <laughs> but when you think of rainbow, there's a balance there, right? Because see, he goes from talking about a rainbow in verse 3, to then what's coming out of the, uh, the throne, from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. That's terrifying. I mean, you ever been into a really, really, really bad thunderstorm? Like where the, the, the lightning is cracking right down where you are, and, then, and you, hear, you see the lightning and hear it simultaneously because it's that close? I mean, that can create a lot of fear, right? 
So before he talks about that in verse 5, he tells us that around the rainbow was a, around the throne was a, a rainbow. Again, you have to think of uh, Genesis chapter 9 after the flood, verse 13. Verse 13 says this, I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Verse 16, the rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So even before the tribulation starts and you see heaven, you see rainbow, which would be, you know, our God is a covenant-keeping God. He does that in so many different ways. With the earth, the rainbow. With Israel, I will, you will be my people. You will turn as a nation. And we see that. We will see that uh, in the end of the tribulation. But isn't he a covenant-keeping God with you? For as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be what? Children of God. You know, my salvation is based on the fact that he is a truth teller, that God is a God of truth, and that when I received his son, I received forgiveness, I received salvation, and I received sonship. And it's all based on the fact that he is a covenant-keeping God. What he says, he will do. So I, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why even the throne, or the rainbow. You read that, and immediately anybody on earth that's a, it's a believer that understands, even back to Genesis, yes, he's a covenant keeping. There will never be another flood. That's why it's so ridiculous. You know, the earth is warming up, and, you're gonna, and it's going to flood. No, it isn't. God promised they wouldn't. If it ever floods, disregard God. Find another God. Right? So, anyways, so around the throne. And again, I, I think from verse 3 to verse 5, you see harmony, you see balance. God's attributes are always, uh, always operate in perfect harmony, or to say it this way, his wrath never operates at the expense of his faithfulness. You know, I mean, in other words, they're both there. His judgments never nullify his promises. Yes, he has judgments, but he also has promises. God's power and holiness could cause hopeless terror. I mean, if it was just his power and holiness, if it were not for his faithfulness, his mercy and his grace. So it's like before we get into even talking about the lightning and thundering and voices, there's a rainbow. Because he is a, he is a loving, gracious, merciful God. Isn't he? Yes, he is. Yep. And then what else do we see here? We see 24 elders. Verse 4, and around the throne. Around the throne were 24 uh, thrones. So again, not only was around the throne the rainbow, but around the throne were also 24 elders. And you have to ask, like, who are these people? <laughs> a lot of people have said angels. The 24 elders represent the angels, even though there are thousands upon thousands these represent. But let me throw out a few things. One, they're sitting. It never says that the angels were sitting. It does, tell that we, it does say in other passages that we are sitting on thrones, that we will be ruling and reigning with Christ. Of angels, it says they're ministering spirits. Not only that, but they have white robes on. Now, angels have, are often appear in white. What's interesting, in chapter 3, just the chapter before that, to the, to the church at Sardis, in chapter 3, verse 5, it says that if you're an overcomer, I'm going to give you, I'll, I'll clothe you in white garments. <coughs> so that's, that's spoken of the church. 24 elders, uh, angels never age, so why would you call them elders? I think the, the capstone, though, it says that they uh, had golden crowns on their heads. That's the victor's crown, which we saw seven times from the different churches. And each time Christ said, if you uh, are an overcoming uh, overcomer, you will receive these crowns. You will you know, become an overcomer. So I think these golden crowns on their head you know, is, is referring to the victor's crown. Uh, I believe these 24 elders are not angels, they're people. So, so then you have to ask the question, well, uh, who? Is it uh, Israel? Is it the tribulation saints? Uh, just for time's sake, I believe it's the church. I believe this is a representative group of people 
that represent the church, or as one man said, the raptured, glorified, coronated church which sings praises of the song of redemption, sings the song of redemption. I think the 24 elders, you see them here, you see them in chapter 5, and you see them a couple other times in the book of Revelation. I think that is a represented group of the church. And this is why. Because Israel has not yet gone through the tribulation. Chronologically, they're not finished yet, right? I mean, some of them were part of the church, but they're not, as a group, they're not complete. And obviously, we don't have the tribulation going on yet, so they're not, you know, the tribulation saints, it can't be them. So I believe the 24 elders are actually us. It's a representative group of the coronated, the redeemed, the raptured church. And that's who's around. That's the first group, as it were, that gets to heaven. Okay, you have the angels, you have the four living creatures, but you have these 24 elders. Who are they? Us, why? Because we've been raptured. The church is complete at that point. You still have tribulation saints, I understand that. You still have Israel at the end getting saved, but that's not the group here, I don't think. I'm going to say I don't think. I, I don't want to be absolutely dogmatic, but it just makes more sense to say that's the church. How about number four? From the throne proceeds lightnings and thunders and voices. You see the exact same thing in Exodus 19 when Moses comes down and God comes down on the mountain and it says the thunderings and the lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of a trumpet. I mean, that's the sound. I mean, <coughs> yeah. and we're talking like you at any moment, where, am I going to be consumed? by the lightning. So again, that's what's proceeding out of the throne. Uh, in Revelation 11:19, it says, Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings and noises and thunderings and earthquake and great hail. That's, that's 11, uh, Revelation 11:19. That's just a few chapters later. Same thing. You see heaven? You don't see this. Blissful clouds. Angels doing the harp thing. No. God is powerful. God is awesome. I mean, this doesn't this drive us to worship? We're going to be able to sing at least one more song, right, at the end? I mean, our God is great. And, and we should approach Him with fear and trembling, but with love and awe in our heart for Him. So before the throne, there are seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, we've already seen the seven spirits in chapter 1, verses uh, 12 and 13. But the, the point is, is this. Uh, it's not some indoor lamp. The, uh, the word that's used is for blazing light, a fiery torch. Okay, there's when it says the lamps of God. And it's, and it's referring to the seven spirits, or, or is referring to the Holy Spirit. You see this in Isaiah 11, verse 2, very clearly. Uh, seven is the word of completion. The Spirit of God is, is complete, okay? The third person of the Trinity. In uh, Isaiah 11, verse 2, it says this, and he is the Spirit of the Lord, excuse me, he is the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding and the Spirit of counsel and might and the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In other words, the seven characteristics, attributes of the Holy Spirit are found in Isaiah 11, verse 2. He is complete. He is full. Well, obviously, he's God. He's sovereign. But that's, that's who is uh, the seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne. So the Father, and now you see the Spirit. Chapter 5, you're going to see the Son. The Trinity's there. And then you see the sea of glass which is metaphor, metaphorical because there is no sea in heaven, but, but see, this says there uh, before the throne, again, again, before. Twice you see the word before. You have the Spirit of God, and now you have the sea of glass like crystal. Now, now think about this. A sea of glass, I mean crystal, like crystal. Now, what happens? What's going to happen... Um, when God's radiance hits that which is before the throne. It's kind of like putting light through a diamond, just, right? Can you imagine having that, the glory of God hitting, and now you just, poof! Like, re reflected, reflecting all the brilliant colors of the entire scene, as one said. 
sparkling radiance, brilliant, whatever other words you can say. Or as to say it this way, heaven is not a shadowy world of mist and indistinct ghosts. It's just poof! Again, I say it again. John is trying to describe the indescribable. And in and around the throne, or in the midst, in the inner circle of the throne, you find these four living creatures. Literally, that means living ones. Living creatures, living ones. They're not beasts. I use the word beast, that's really wrong. Creatures. How do, seeking to describe the indescribable. I mean, it says the first living creature was like a lion, the second was like a calf, the, the third had a face of a man, and the last one flying eagle. Now, if you go to Ezekiel, and we have no time to do that, we find that actually each beast, I keep saying that, each creature, it says the face of a man, and then the, the other, and like all four sides had this. So what is he trying to describe? I don't know. We'll have to have a discussion of that when we all get to heaven. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we'll be there. <clears throat> right? But again, the living creatures, and I'm not going to spend much time because we're going to see them again three, four times more so we can deal with that. All I know is that they were in the inner circle, as it were. And I, I believe, if you will, uh, guarding and protecting the throne. Not that God needs protection, but the point is, is that they are the ones that continue to offer up um, worship. In fact, verse 8 says, the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. Full of eyes would be aware, alert, comprehending, not omniscient. But notice what they do, and this is where we're going to spend a, uh, next week on. Uh, notice what they do. <clears throat> And they do not rest day or night saying, by the way, not singing, saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The inner core, just continually, they, they don't rest night or day. And what are they, they proclaiming? They're proclaiming, this is really a hymn of creation. They're proclaiming the greatness of the Creator. They actually pick up on that in verse 11 again, because look at the last part of verse 11. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. You're the creator, we're giving you praise. But here in verse 8, holy, holy, holy. The holiness, the tri thrice hagia, they call it. The thrice holy, perhaps even referring to the Trinity, but holy, holy, holy. The, the main idea of holy is other, different. You're different from all of us. You're the other. You're separated from us. You, you don't want to think of God like this. You know, you got the amoeba and fish, animals, man, and then you have God. No, no, he's the other. <laughs> that's all of his creation. He's the other. And that's what they're proclaiming right here. You're the other. And then not only that, but your power. I mean, this is the God who is in heaven who does, as, as Psalm says, whatever he pleases. So they, they uh, proclaim his power and then they proclaim his eternality, who was and is and is to come. And I wanted to give you a showing of how big is our universe. I showed this one time way back. But this is how big, because we, we get so focused in on our little dirt ball called Earth, right? All right, sit down, John. <laughs> this is about three minutes. Seeing right now. First of all, this so is... We have the lights. Okay, then it's just, just you're taking off from the earth from Southern California, and we're gonna we're gonna rise up for a little bit here. Okay, we're gonna pull away from it. We're gonna pull higher. Now this is at about 10 kilometers. Like if you climb Mount Everest, this is what you'd see. You'd see the curvature of the earth from that distance. Now you're gonna we're gonna climb up even higher. This is at 100 kilometers. And you're a fourth of the way to the space station now. This is what you'd see. If you get to this level, you're considered an astronaut. Just if you ever get there. Okay, now we're going 100,000 kilometers. 100,000 kilometers from the Earth. You go a fourth of the way to the moon. That's what the Earth would look like. Now we're going to pull away to a million kilometers. At a million kilometers, there's the moon. Okay? There's the moon. You can barely see the Earth. You're at a million kilometers now. You're past the past the moon, and uh, now we're going to go to 100 million kilometers. 100 million kilometers, you're still not to the sun. The sun's 93 million miles away. 
But now we're going to go to 10 trillion kilometers. Ten, there's the sun. <laughs> you just passed the sun. Now you would see all of the planets at 10 trillion kilometers. And now we're at 10 to the 15th power. That means 10 with 15 zeros. I don't know what that number is. 15 zeros. And the sun's just like a bright dot amidst other stars. And now we're going to 10 light years away. At 10 light years away. Come on, let's go. Zoom, there you go. 10 light years away. Now you just see the sun with like 11 other stars that are kind of its neighbors. You know, that, 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 that's our sun. And now we're going to go 1,000 light years away. At 1,000 light years away, you, you wouldn't even see our sun anymore. These are just a bunch of stars close to it and this cluster inside the Milky Way. Now we're going to zoom out even further, and that's the Milky Way we live in. See that cluster of stars? Those are about 100,000 stars that are closest to our sun. You can't see our sun anymore at this point. Now this is our Milky Way galaxy. Forget about the Earth. Okay, there's our Milky Way galaxy that we live in. Um, and we're just buried in there somewhere. And we're going to pull out even further. And you'll see that our galaxy is actually, it's, it's a big galaxy. And, uh, and all those other things you're seeing now are galaxies. And we're going to pull away 10 million light years now. His next scene is 10 million light years. Those are all galaxies you see amidst our Milky Way, several hundred galaxies. Now we're going to go 100 million light years away. It's the last one. We're going to zoom out to 100 million light years. Those are all clusters of galaxies. Galaxies and clusters of galaxies. You won't even see our Milky Way galaxy anymore amidst that. We don't have telescopes that go beyond that little sphere there. In what, what, what you're seeing right now. First of all, this is the Earth. Okay. <laughs> it, it, the the numbers are so phenomenal, you can't even... Uh, I will say this, though. What is a light year? Um, light year means that you're traveling at 186,000 miles per what? Second. Second. Or to say it this way, just to put in perspective, our solar system is seven and a half billion miles wide, just ours. And they estimate <laughs> that there are a hundred billion stars in our galaxy, Milky Way galaxy, and each one of them have its own solar system, and that there are 50 billion galaxies. So like we're one with millions and billions of stars, and there are 50 billion galaxies out there called our universe. And as we said earlier, that's just the second heaven. God's beyond that. And if you go to Genesis, you say that was all created in how long? Now, you either have to believe that the Bible is true and God is unbelievably great. And then, then you say, wow, no wonder the four living creatures and the 24 elders fall down and worship. And when they worship, they say, holy, 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 you're the other. We're here created. You're the other. And you're almighty. That's, that sounds almost so insignificant in comparison to what we just saw. But yes, he is. He is the almighty one who was and is and is to come. And I think it just blows your mind. And as you really look at creation, it's interesting that this first, these first two hymns are hymns to the Creator. Specify Him as Creator. He is the Creator. Therefore, He can do with us as He pleases. But you know what? As you look at Creator, as you focus in on that, well, how does that change your life? Boy, doesn't it destroy, destroy your pride? <laughs> you know, like you walk into church thinking you're really hot stuff and you look at something like that, you're like, what? I'm just a dot. Destroys your pride? It certainly fuels worship, but it also strengthens us, even in suffering. It's, it's amazing as, um, remember when Paul talked about all his problems in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, all the things that had happened to him, stoned, shipwrecked, uh, beat. You know what the next little part was? Second chapter 12, verses 1 to 4, I was caught up into the third heaven. 
It's amazing. Talk about all the suffering, but let me put it in perspective. I, I saw God. Remember when Stephen's being stoned? What did he say? I saw the Lord standing at the right hand of the Father. God gave him a glimpse. As those stones were beating his body and he was about ready to die, he was focused on heaven. In fact, I believe, actually saw the Lord. Okay? So again, as we focus on God and his creation and the greatness of who he is, destroys pride, fuels worship, strengthens us even here, even right now on Memorial Day weekend, right? Because we can say no matter what's, go, what's going through in my life, God is big and I am small. God is big and my problems in comparison to everything he's holding together is small. Thankfully, he's merciful and gracious to us. He wants to give us his power to accomplish his purposes. But, we, but do you see how small those are, whatever problems we have in comparison to the greatness of God? He's, he's literally holding all that together. <laughs> and I think I go back to Psalms as we close. Remember the psalmist when he said this, When I consider the, your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, which we just saw, what is man that you are mindful of him? All the way, galaxy, 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 Milky Way, through the Milky Way, to the star, to the earth, to your heart. And my son is going to come to that earth and die for those people. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Thank you, Lord. Just thank you, Lord, that you have given us a glimpse of heaven, of what's really important. And what's really important is that he has redeemed the people for himself that we might be able to worship him. Now again, redeemed a people. A people who have realized that they were rebellious and rebellion against the Father. Because of that, they were condemned. But the Son of God came to this earth as the God-man, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, and his death is, is sufficient, completely sufficient, to forgive a person's rebellion against the Father. And as you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he has forgiven you, he has redeemed you, and he's made you part of his family. And have you done that? Have you ever received Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because it says in Scripture that if you receive Him, He will make you one of His children. Have you done that? Because again, you can worship the Lord. You can think you're worshiping the Lord as Creator, but He's also, as uh, chapter 5 says, Jesus Christ is the Redeemer. He has redeemed us by His own blood. Have you received Him and the sacrifice that He did on the cross for you? And if you have, if you haven't, you can receive Him right now. Ask him for salvation as a beggar begs for food. Lord, I recognize my need and I recognize you are the solution, you are the savior, you are the substitute, and I receive you. But if you've already done that, I, I would just say this. I, I would hope that your heart is like actually hit, maybe even like, like this. Wow, how big the, in, that you are mindful of me, that I know the truth. That as we sing right now, you would just your heart, oh, Lord, I want to worship you. And let's do that together.